Welcome to the Get Ignited podcast series hosted by Beth Chesterton. This Get Ignited podcast features our conversation with Andre Norman. As a young man, Andre was sentenced to 100 years in prison. As a natural-born leader, he quickly rose to the top of the prison gang system. But during his two-year solitary confinement, Andre had an epiphany and made the decision to turn his life around. Over the next eight years, Andre taught himself how to read, to understand the law, and without hesitation participated in anger management groups. After winning his appeal and armed with the GED, Andre walked out of prison in 1999 after serving 14 years. Since then, Andre has gone on to become a Harvard Fellow, international speaker and facilitator with a track record for bringing people together to overcome previously insurmountable obstacles. He works in crisis situations throughout the world. Andre Norman is someone who became ignited under the most difficult circumstances. Please join us to hear Andre bring a unique and powerful perspective to today's events and challenges. Enjoy. Let's get started. This is Get Ignited. It's part of the Ignite Method, and our Get Ignited calls are a way to celebrate people who are fully ignited. And tonight we have somebody for you who is probably the most magnetic man I've ever met, who's made more happen in his short lifetime, he's pretty young, to have accomplished so much. But we're going to learn a lot tonight from Andre Norman about, here's a man who was born with a personality like you can't believe leadership skills innate for sure, and who found himself in prison serving quite a long sentence and somehow had this moment where he decided that he was going to turn his life around. And in fact, he didn't set his sights just on getting out of prison, which was a major challenge, but how about going to Harvard? How about teaching at Harvard? How about becoming one of the international leaders? And what about becoming the most sought after speaker for YPO, for CEOs. How about helping not only people in the United States, Los Angeles, Ferguson, he's from Boston, works all over the country, but all over the world, Latin America, Europe. He's even helpful, um, even in Australia. He's worked all over the world in major crisis situations. So Andre, when you're in the room, there's nobody more important to let speak because everybody wants to hear what you have to say. So how about you kick us off and tell us what's on your mind today and where we should begin. Well, I just want to say thank you for having me, Beth. And I see all the lovely people. I give you all a shout out. I appreciate you for tuning in. And Katie, I see you, even though you're back there someplace. Amy, I see you. I can't, I, I can't pronounce sisters. Now, everybody's on it. Hey, we got a first guy. What's up, Jim? So ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you. It's a great being here. And um, I just wanted to share tonight my perspective on how do we make the world better? And me, Beth, and all of us together collectively agreeing that for this next piece of time, we're going to try to make the world better. And there's nothing else to it. When I wake up in the morning, my first thought is, how can I be helpful? And today's helpfulness is sharing information. Well, um, Andre, let's talk about... Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Andre's story, um, because you can't be in the room without Andre, with Andre and, and not want to know more about how is it that somebody is born this magnetic? And, um, I say this, Andre, by the way, teaches me what I can't say, what I say that's ignorant and stupid. He's the kind of man who wants all of us to move only towards solutions. So if I say something wrong, Andre says, Hey Beth, here's a better way that you could say that. Here's what's wrong with what you just said. So I want everybody to know that this is a man who wants us to all move forward together and move towards solutions. 
Talk a little bit about, Andre, where we are today in this world and what you're thinking about. Well, most of my last two weeks have been inundated with my white friends, and I have a lot of them, calling me saying, hey, Andre, uh, we got issues, we got problems. And I've been like flooded, just like every time I pick up the phone, it's like another one of my white friends trying to figure out what they can say, what they can't say, what they should do, what they shouldn't do, what's enough, what's not enough, why, why Black Lives Matter, why not all lives matter. I don't like the looters, but I kind of understand the protest. And it's just like, they're trying to figure it out. And unlike any time prior, because I happen to be in St. Louis Ferguson during Michael Brown, I happen to be in Honduras, I've been a lot of places. And unlike many prior incidences, this one and this time brought us to a place of a world discussion. And I believe most of that was caused because we were stuck in a house on COVID. So the entire world watched that video at the same time. And in most instances, we would all been busy. I'd have definitely been on a plane. <laughs> I, half my friends would have been on planes and we would have saw that maybe the next day or two days later, it might've been forwarded to me from somebody and I wouldn't have paid attention to it because it was a forward and I'm too busy. I was sitting at home like the rest of the world. And when that video came across, there was no ambiguity. There was no kind of sort of maybes. It was just flat out wrong. And mm -hmm. anybody and everybody could see that. And the world was on the same page at the same time with the same issue. And so I've been, people have been having a hard time saying, wow, I didn't know it was that bad. Or I didn't know that was a circumstance. Or I never heard of Trayvon Rice. I don't know who these other people are. So, and am I a bad person for not being up on the black plight? And these are the scenarios and discussions we've been having. So with that, I've been telling, I'm not here to blame you for not knowing black history. I'm not here to be mad at you because you didn't know all the people who suffered or been through trauma or turmoil or what the current conditions are. I'm just glad that you're here and let's go forward from here. We can fill in the things that you don't know or I can make you feel bad about the things that you don't know. We don't go anywhere. So it's about moving forward and collectively growing. Well, first of all, are those birds in your hat? Are, is that, are those your birds? Somebody's no. got birds. Uh, um, not mine. Okay. So Andre, um, so you've been helping so many people right now, sort of especially a lot of white people understand how to think about this and how to make sense of it. And what do you say? Should we just jump right in? Why not go right to Black Lives Matter right off the bat? Well, the first thing is, we saw the let's we don't want to change the narrative. Changing the narrative is a specialty of people who feel guilty or don't want to discuss something. So how do we? The first instance is how do we change the narrative so I can feel comfortable in this conversation as a white person or somebody who hasn't been attached? Don't worry about being comfortable. Don't worry about being settled in. Just let's deal with the truth. The truth is, a black man died and a white police officer killed him. That's just a fact. And however you see that, whatever that man did prior, whatever they did 10 days before, two weeks before, is not the issue. Well, he was a criminal, or he stole something from the store. He might have been it. None of that withstands what happened to him. So we don't want to change the storyline or change the narrative. And when we do that, I'm saying, then what happens is, I'm saying, when we do that, then what happens is you change the whole story. Where let's just call it what it is. Black man got murdered. Done. We don't like it. Let's say this shouldn't happen again. There has to be a better way to deal with and to engage with somebody that, who's being arrested other than killing them. Forgery shouldn't be a death sentence on the sidewalk. 
So first, let's not change the narrative. Second, for those who say black lives matter, why can't all lives matter? And they have this whole, that is just a way to distract or detach or distract yourself from the reality. There's never been a time in this country where white lives didn't matter. From the time they pulled up with the pilgrims, I'm from Massachusetts, so Plymouth Rock is down the street from my house. From the time they pulled up, white lives have mattered. There was a time, we can all agree, during slavery, that black lives didn't matter. You could kill us, you could rape us, you could do whatever you want to us, you could sell us, you can chop us up, you can do whatever you wanted during slavery because black lives didn't matter. Post-slavery, during um, Jim Crow, you could lynch us, you can burn us, you can tear down our towns, you can do whatever you wanted to us. We can agree during Jim Crow, black lives didn't matter. During the civil rights movement, you putting dogs, fire hoses, whatever else you were doing, what, black kids trying to go to school getting beat up just because they want to go to a, a better school or better system, black lives didn't matter. So in 2020, when black people say to you, what they should be saying is, can we matter now? Mm -hmm. It's not about you not mattering. It's about, can we matter now? And somebody's trying to change the narrative. It's like, oh, they're separating white versus, but no. This for many, many decades and centuries, we did not matter. And all we're saying in 2020 is collectively is, can we matter now? And I don't agree with all the protests. I don't agree with all the looting. I don't agree with all the riots. Some of it I understand, some of it I don't agree with. So it's not one size fits all. Or if you agree with the protests, then you agree with the looting. Or you kind of get the violent protests, but you don't get this part. And people have selective memories. I remember when I went to school in Boston as a young kid, and it was a forced integration of busing, of busing. And white people did not like the fact that black kids were going to white schools. And they stood outside and they protested. But they went a little bit further than just saying no. They, they threw rocks at us. They called us names. There's a picture of a man being stabbed with an American flag on Boston Hall Plaza. Mm -hmm. When black folks wanted to eat at the same counter, white folks protested. And they went beyond protesting. They beat them up and they drug them out of the store and beat them some more. Mm -hmm. So white protests being violent has been okay. Black protests being semi-violent is just a no-no because the, stigmatization, the stigmatizing of black folks as being violent, criminals, and the overall narrative and the stereotype of they, they're bad. So we judge people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by their intentions. Our intent is just to keep our schools safe. Our intent is to keep our lunch counters just for us. We don't really mean any harm, or he didn't really mean to kill him. It was an accident. But there's been too many accidents in the last 400 years to keep calling them accidents. So it's not I'm mad at white society. I'm mad at, listen, let's just get to a place of we are here. It's been bad. How do we fix it? We can talk about all the problems for all the years and who we can talk about Trayvon, Rodney. We, I'll go back to Martin Luther King when they shot him. I mean, it wouldn't have to stop at Trayvon or Rodney King. We can go all the way back to Malcolm X when he got killed. When Malcolm X died, 80% of his staff were police officers. They watched him get murdered. Not a problem. How do we not get stuck in the weeds and get to the point of saying black lives should matter? Black lives for a long time didn't matter. And that is why we have the slogan. And then when people look at the movement and saying, well, I don't like the movement. Some people are looting. Some people are rioting. Some people are peaceful protesting. I can't keep track. Why are they all over the place under the same banner? Well, we learn lessons from white folks. 
in the 60s, we had black leaders trying to champion black causes. And a, a theme kept happening. They kept getting assassinated. Every time you stood up as a black leader and tried to marshal a campaign for black people, you got assassinated. Or you got locked up. Or you got kicked out of the country. So here we are in 2020. Black folks have said, if I make myself the leader and the sole orchestrator of Black Lives Matter, I can damn near just go get me a funeral plot because I'm about to be in it. Because somebody going to kill me, and that's really simple. So what Black Lives Matter has done is said, there will be no head. It will be by the mob mentality, whatever you want to call it, by the group. And that way, you can't kill one person. When King died, civil rights died. When Malcolm X died, Nation of Islam took a major hit. And on down the line. You can't kill Black Lives Matter because nobody's dumb enough to stand up and say, I'm the leader. Because you can rest assured, he'll be out of here sooner than not. And he'll be like, wow, how did that happen? We can have another holiday for him. No, we don't want more holidays. We want, our, we want our people here. We don't want more holidays. And so with the disbursement of leadership, you're going to get some random acts or some stuff that you don't always agree with. And that's the byproduct of not wanting to be the, the lead and catch a bullet. So you have to accept the mob mentality, for lack of a better term, with Black Lives Matter, because nobody wants to stand up in front of white people and say, I'm leading black folks to a better place, because it hasn't worked out historically. So, Andre, um, thinking about all the work you're, you're doing in prisons, um, can you help link in the prison reform work that you're doing in Black Lives Matter? Oh, well, in Ferguson, we had a gentleman named Michael Brown Sr. And um, me and Dan Curran and Dave Spence and a lot of us, I went to, when I came to Ferguson, Katie actually called me. I think she's on his call someplace. Katie called me and said, Andre, I need you to come to St. Louis. And I came and her husband met me and we went out. We've been great friends. And we, we went out at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever, in the evenings and talked to people who were angry and upset on the street corner at midnight. Not two o'clock in the afternoon with a police escort. We went out late at night with people out there protesting for real, for real. And we had real conversations in real time with people who were angry. And they were angry because they just got fed up. It's like, okay, what do I do next? And I say for all the people who don't like violent protests or looting, I agree. Please give me your solution for what black folks should do in spite of or in place of rioting and looting. Say, so, so know something? Black man got killed who was wrong. You're upset. You're distraught. Here's the solution of what you should be doing. I've yet to hear what we should be doing. I keep hearing what we shouldn't be doing. And that's just a longer story. Prisons. We have 2.2 million people in prison right now in this country. We lead the world. We know that. Black men make up 4% of the U.S. US population. But black men make up 40% of the prison population. That math does not work for me. I went to public school and I didn't do well. But 4% of the people should not make up 40% of the prisons. That math is just horrid. And it's, it's been acceptable be, for whatever the reason. It's just been acceptable. At the end of slavery, they came with a concept called the 13th Amendment that freed us from slaves. But if we can criminalize you, we can reincarcerate you and put you back to work. So the day they ended slavery, they instituted the 13th Amendment, which gave the right that if somebody can be deemed a criminal, they can get free labor. And the day after slavery ended, they started arresting people for vagrancy, for loitering, and putting them right back on chain gangs. So it went from plantations to chain gangs, but it was still free labor. And it's been that all the way through to the point where we are now, where prisons are money makers. In the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, they were just a place to get rid of the people you didn't want. 
Now they actually generate money. It's a business. And people say, okay, they have prison contracts from private industries that the state agrees to keep a certain amount of bodies in these jails. So where do you get the bodies from? They're not going to arrest their own people. So they come and arrest us, whatever the scenario is. I was just watching a story last night um, on 60 Minutes, an old story about a fake police chief who hired somebody to come do an investigation that had no police work. He had 46 people arrested in Tula, Texas. And his word alone got 46 people sent. He got over 700 years of sentences passed out on his word alone. And come to find out, it was all lies. But a majority of them people spent three years in prison anyways. They just got a white guy, he came down, nope, no notes, no photos, no evidence, no recordings, no nothings. His word against 46 black people and they all went to jail. Some of them had alibis, still went to jail. There was a few people with time, because they just, one lady was like a state away and she could prove that she was in the bank at the time, so they had to dismiss her case. But everybody else who couldn't prove where they were at the time this man was lying, yeah, sent them to jail. 99 years, 100 years, and it was just like craziness. But the narrative is believable, black people are criminals and all bad. So I work in prisons because that's where I started. Now I committed the crimes that I committed that sent me to jail. It wasn't anybody else, it wasn't fake identity, but I went based on a system. They could have told you when I was in the third grade, Andre's going to prison. Because since I've been doing this work and studying, prison cells are dictated based on third grade math and science scores. If you fail third grade math and science, there's a good chance you will not graduate high school, which means there's a good chance you will be on the street committing some kind of crimes offending for yourself. And they, finish, they figure a percentage of those people will go to prison or commit crimes and get arrested, so they build cells. Instead of somebody saying, well, they can't pass third grade math and science, let's get the education system up. I would love for a thousand white soccer moms to pull up on elementary school in the hood and say, you must teach them. Please teach them. I don't want to see black people out front talking about, don't kill us no more, we can't breathe. I want a thousand white soccer moms in minivans with snacks in front of an elementary school talking about, teach them please. Because at the end of the day, education is the equalizer. If you are stuck and unsure and not sure which way to go, you don't like Black Lives Matter, you don't like grown men, you don't like protests, can we agree to teach the babies? <laughs> can we just agree to teach the babies? There was a law enacted when slavery first began. If they learn how to read, kill them. And the premise of that law was you can't enslave an educated mind. So here we are in 2020, putting people on the planet, on, on the moon. We've had a war going on for the last 15 years in, in Iraq, wherever they are now, I'm not sure. And soldiers dying, billions and trillions of dollars being spent. But we got people who can't pass third grade math. How are you liberating countries around the world, but you can't teach your own third grade math? Because... I'm not saying a conspiracy because we've had black presidents and white presidents, Republicans and Democrats, and none of them in the last 70 years have fixed education because everybody agrees the difference between Andre in 2020 and Andre in 1985 is I can read and write. Andre 2020, Andre 1985, I know how to process. All the things I didn't know were really rooted in my educational system. Once I became educated, my life became my own, but I shouldn't have to go to prison and be locked in a dungeon to realize the need for education. Nobody on this call would accept their kids going to a school that had 70% dropout rates. 
We have police stations in our schools. We have guns and gangs in our schools. We have metal detectors at the front door. And this is completely okay. I went to MICDS. I didn't see metal detectors. I didn't see a police station. I didn't see any of that stuff. I don't, I know for a fact they don't have a 70% dropout rate because you're, the parents be up there talking, wait a minute, what is going on here? What is really going on? Let the math teacher come late for class twice. You have 30, 30 parents at the school demanding because they paid forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for this education that their kids shall be educated because they understand an uneducated kid will be home on your couch mooching off you. So you don't, you don't want your kid on your couch mooching off you. That's why you invest $30,000, $40,000 a year in his education or her education. But it's completely acceptable that in urban communities, the schools are horrible. And the worst case is the taxpayers pay for this. So it's your money. You pay $40,000 to send me to prison, but, but you won't pay $10,000 to send me to university. Mm-hmm. You pay $8,000 a year for me to flunk out of school instead of paying $8,000 a year for me to be educated. And then you don't have to worry about the welfare system, the unemployment rate, the prison. And the, if I can't read and write, yeah, I'm going to rob you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rob you. Keep it simple. But if you teach me to read, write, and give me a hope and a career and a future, I, I've yet to see a doctor down on the corner selling crack. I see kids who don't have education, don't have hope out there trying to make the best way they can. And it's a horrible way. It's a horrible way. We can agree that human trafficking is bad, but we're, we're trafficking kids from the third grade straight to the prison. But mm-hmm. that's okay. As long as you don't put them in a hotel with some shady people, we can live with it. Mm-hmm. But if you just send them to a penitentiary, oh yeah, no problem. They can get raped in prison, but not in a hotel room. So we just have to come to, again, we have to collectively agree that we have to get better. And we have to say, it's for me, if I could pick one thing, one thing we can all agree to teach the babies. The ba- for, I can tell you where all the next set of criminals, drug dealers, gang members, prostitutes are at right now. They're in elementary school, in an urban school someplace. Mm-hmm. And we know they're there. And at seven years old, they're not problematic. They're not tough. They're not scary. They just want a peanut butter sandwich and a hug. That's it. Mm-hmm. You got a seven-year-old. If you can't talk to a seven-year-old and get his attention, something wrong. Peanut butter jelly sandwich and a hug, they're on board. But no, we don't want to wait. We don't want to talk to him at seven. Wait till they get 18. They got five felonies. I'm like, oh, he deserves to go to jail. Mm-hmm. So where we can educate early and that'll negate the need for all these prisons and these protests because a lot of the folks who are out here running into these scenarios are struggling. And that's why they're out here. Not just saying that they're wrong for being out there. They should die. But I mean, there has to be a better way. And we want for our kids the same thing you want for your kids, education. And if that's an unfair ask, then I don't know what else to ask for. So Andre, when I met you, I met you through Dan Curran and Katie Curran, who, as you mentioned, are on the call. And you and Dan, this was before Michael Brown's death and before Ferguson, uh, the, the, the killing of Michael Brown and Ferguson. And you and Dan were working on a project. Can you talk a little bit about that project? The project we were working on, it was, I saw a TV show called Lean On Me a long time ago with Joe Clark. Uh, Morgan Freeman played Joe Clark. And when I first came to, I'm a motivational speaker. So I go around the world and I give speeches. And when I came to St. Louis the first time, um, my thing was, I came to St. Louis, I, 
I showed up, I think it was like five or six days early. My speech was on Sunday. I showed up on Tuesday. I did five days of volunteer work. Anytime, some, anytime a corporation hires me to speak and pays me my rate, I will show up four or five days early and just do volunteer work every day, all day. And that's what I did. And I ended up going to Roosevelt High School. While I was at Roosevelt High School on the South Side, I met Dave and Susie Spence, who had been volunteering there for five years. You had two white people from Ladue who wanted to make a difference. They understood education was the way, and they were down there doing everything they could to make their school better. So when I came on board, they were like, hey, let's team up. We, we think together we can make it better. So me, Dave, and Susie, we got together, and we made it rock, and we actually turned their school around. And it wasn't like they hired me and sent me. Susie went with me. Almost everywhere I went, she was there with me. 100,000 meetings. We were having meetings at their house at 10, 11 o'clock at night. It was never a no. It was, let's get it done. And then we documented, and I went to Dan, and Dan was like, okay, let's turn this into a documentary. So Dan had a great concept to turn it into a documentary, and we spent about six months or so um, reshooting and shooting and filming. And um, Dan financed that himself because he wanted the story told. And he financed the whole shooting of the documentary himself because he wanted the story of Ferguson, excuse me, the story of Roosevelt told to the world. And he did it, and he put a lot of time, effort, and energy into it to make that thing come pass. And, and it's called Saving St. Louis. If somebody could put a link, I'm hoping everybody here will chat. Anything that you're thinking about, you're noticing, you're admiring, you're agreeing with, or questions you have, just put it in the chat. But somebody, if you could put the link to the documentary that Dan Curran and Andre Norman created together with Dave Spence, was very involved, and his wife Susie, they were a big part of this effort, obviously, and put a link in there. And there was always a little bit of a talk about you guys going on to do saving many different cities. Yes. I mean, we got the concept, me and Dan sit down. We just wanted to go city to city and help people. That was our thing. Let's just go help people as much as we can, as best as we can. And that's how I ended up in in South Carolina. They had a riot at a prison two years ago and seven people were murdered and 30 people were injured. They Mm -hmm. asked me to come in. So I'm doing saving South Carolina right now. <laughs> so we've come into the prison system and took what they deem the worst prisoners in the worst system. And we've gone 13 months without a fist fight, 13 months without a stabbing, 13 months without an assault. And we're talking about, I have the top gang leaders, the top influencers, the top people in the system who all have criminal troubled past from inside. I don't care what you did on the street. I'm talking about what they did inside. And I've had these men in the unit together, creating programs, working with each other, and we've been doing wonderful. And something about, so, okay, this is what you just said about influencers is interesting. And that seems like where you always go, Andre, when you go into a community, you not only work with the CEOs and the leaders and the top politicians, but you work with the people, you find the influencers in every um, area, even gang leaders, et cetera, and you're working with them. When we were working at Roosevelt, one of the problems were the kids couldn't get home from school without going through different territories. And that was a problem. So you can get the police and the police will put a car out there. And for those two hours or two days, it's safe for them to pass. But at some point they're going to pull the car. So what we did is we went down and talked to the gang guys in that neighborhood and said, listen, man, I got some kids coming from this school. They got to walk through your neighborhood to get home. They ain't involved. They're not part of nothing. They're just trying to get home. And we came to understanding between these hours and these hours, they got a free pass. But if they're here after four o'clock, all bets are off. So the kids had a free pass because we spoke to the guys who actually control the corner. The police don't control the corner. The guy with the gun, 
that's unlicensed, he controls the corner. So you can keep talking to the police, and that's the problem. The police in the inner city are generally not liked by the people committing crimes. I'm not going to say everybody doesn't like them, but definitely the criminals don't like them, and the criminals don't listen to them. So why would the criminals listen to the police about anything? So with that, we talk to the people who control the actual life and death of that kid trying to get home from school. I don't, I'm not really invested in the police officer who's going to arrest a guy for killing a kid. I'd rather talk to the kid, the guy about not killing him. That's way more important. And we seem to be doing it backwards. We're sending police in to manage people that generally don't trust them. There's a lot of distrust with the police force, white, black, or Spanish. And instead of saying the community doesn't trust us, let's try a new way. We just get more police cars, more SWAT teams, and more guns. And it's not working. You can't triple down like we're in a foreign country and just super police us. The community doesn't trust the police collectively. Now, there are those who do, but there's a lot who don't. And for a lot of reasons, if you got 40% of your prison population being in jail that's black, come out of 4%, those folks ain't got no love for the police. If you were in Tula, Texas, you definitely don't trust the police. I can go down a list in places. It's like the distrust is not trying to be repaired at all. It can be repaired. It's fixable. It's completely fixable if you try to fix it. Nobody's trying to fix the relationship. So the relationship is strained and therefore the criminals win. Okay. So what do you think about defunding and the conversations now? And, uh, how would I, you, I mean, well, we have to, I would have no problem looking at their budgets. I don't want the police to be like hampered. They can't do their jobs at all. Three bad cops or 10 bad cops. don't mean all bad cops. I have friends I grew up with at the police. I have nothing against the police department. But if you're saying to me, we can put money, if the money is choice, police or education, I'm going to education. Because if we start educating, we'll have less need for a gang unit. If we don't educate, we'll have more need for it. So it's chicken and egg. So if it's how do we fix it, then let's get education going. I don't want to just take money from the police for the sake of taking money if they can justify why they have it and they're actually doing something with it. But we shouldn't ask the police to be caseworkers. Police should do police work. So, and now if they're not doing police work, now you can look at a budget and say, hey, we have see a lot of entrepreneurs in this country. If you looked at the police budget and their staffing and all the rest of this stuff, like I work at the prison. They have a shooting range behind the prison. And every single day, there's like 20 people out there shooting guns at these targets. For some reason, they spent, I don't know how many thousands a year on a shooting range. Ask me how many people they shot last year in the last five years. None. <laughs> you ain't <laughs> shot a person in five to 10 years, but you spend 10, 20, 30,000 dollars a year on a shooting range. You, everybody doesn't need to shoot a gun. And if you're going to look and say, okay, we're spending all this money on practicing and shooting, and we ain't shot anybody in 10 years, we might want to reallocate some of this money. Mm -hmm. We don't need the full budget that we've been using to train people on how to shoot people. And we ain't had to shoot anybody in 10 years. So those are the common sense things. They have the money, so we're going to spend it because we got it. We're going to buy, I mean, you need the proper police cars, you need proper cells, proper equipment, proper, I mean, I saw the thing out in California, them guys had eight Ks and it was lighting the block up. Give them what they need to be police. But all of the money that they're getting, I can assure you, um, isn't necessary. And I know this from working in Boston, the police go, I don't even want their budget. Whatever the police budget is, I'm not arguing. Let them have their budget. The grants that come in for the youth programs, 
most of the grant money that comes in for gang and youth programs into a city runs through the police department. Mm -hmm. The one agency that the kids don't trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let them keep their city budget, but let's mm -hmm. take the money that's coming in for the programming and give that to somebody else. Because I'm not trying to have like, oh, Andre hates the police, take all their money. No, that's not going to be a solution. They get millions and millions and millions of dollars for programming from the federal and state government. They shouldn't be getting that money. So Andre, speaking of trust, everybody trusts you, right? So I, I've just found um, since I've known you that everybody trusts you. You, you when you're top, one of the top YPO speakers. They keep inviting you back. They trust you. They want to hear what you have to say. Gang leaders trust you. What, what is it? When did you realize? And this is the ignite method. So that's all about discovering your genius and and what it is that makes you uniquely able to accomplish the extraordinary. And when you look at Andre Norman, you say, when did you realize that you people trusted you, that you could influence anybody in whichever way you wanted to influence them? Well, I, I had the ability to influence. It used to be called manipulation. <laughs> and I used to do it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It was called manipulation. Mm -hmm. And once I started doing it for the right reasons, it became influence. <laughs> yeah, right. So I want to keep it, I want to keep it straightforward. I used to be a massive manipulator. Mm -hmm. And that my ability to manipulate came from my mom. My mom taught me that. My mm -hmm. mom was a super massive manipulator. She, she, oh my God, you could not keep up with my mom. If you met me, you met my mother, and she's me times 10. Mm -hmm. My mom is, 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 she's good. She, mm -hmm. I thought everybody was smart as my mom when I went out in the world, and they weren't. <laughs> I didn't realize people were that dumb until I went outside. But um, my mom taught me how to be a thinker, how to be a strategist, how to engage, how to win a step forward. I learned that all from my mom. And so when I went into the street, I knew how to communicate. I knew how to think through things. A lot of people just didn't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I just, it is every space I've been in. And that's my mom's big thing. Just tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. People don't tell them the half of the truth. Like I said in the beginning, this is a black, white issue. Let's call it a black, white issue. This is black lives matter because black lives didn't matter. And mm -hmm. so it's not like, Hey, I believe, if you'd have taken a poll during slavery, the first week of slavery, every black came and said, hey, I vote to end slavery. Mm -hmm. hundred years in, every black came with a went up, said, hey, I vote to end slavery. 300 years in, every black came with a went up. At no time did the cries of blacks or the votes of blacks end slavery. It was Northern whites, liberals and abolitionists who got together and for whatever the reason was, I don't want to care, said stop. And mm -hmm. when they said stop, it started the process of ending slavery. So while we're on this call, hey, I need white people. I need the same level of people that we had back to end slavery because never did the slave owners say, what do the slaves think? You think we should cut them loose now? No, that wasn't a discussion. When white folks up north said no to white folks down south, did we start the beginning of the Civil War slash the end of slavery? And that's what we're going to need in 2020. We need all these great, wonderful, liberal white folks who say this is wrong to speak up to the wrong. And if the wrong isn't police brutality, it's definitely lack of education, lack mm -hmm. of opportunity. I don't care about racists. If you don't like black people, you're fine with me. I don't. I have no problem with that. If you hate black people just because we're black and whatever else goes with that, I have no problem with that. Just, I don't want you on my police force in St. Louis. I don't want you on the police force in New York City. I don't want you on the police force where my son lives. If mm -hmm. you don't like black people, go live in Montana. Go live in the suburbs. Go live in a gated community and hate me on the news. I don't care. But don't become a school teacher and come into the inner city and hate black people because all you're going to have is black kids. So 
My father does not like white people. He grew up in Virginia in the 40s, and he had a tough time. But the difference between my father and these police officers, my father is not a cop in the mm. suburbs. My father is not driving around the suburbs in a police car pulling you over. My father is not teaching at a, at a white private school when he doesn't like white people. He, he drove his truck, he drove his taxi, and he minded his business. He went home, and he drank his beers, and he told his friends how much he hates white people. And that was it. But if you took, you would not want my father teaching your kids if you're white. It'd be a bad day. <laughs> it would be a real bad day if you came to school and you saw my dad, who happened to be 6'6", 300 pounds, teaching your kids anything, and they were white. Because he's going to tell them some really choice words every single day. And they're going to come home like, Mommy, the, the, the teacher just... And it's gonna be all bad. And you would go up to school like, "What are you doing?" He'd be like, "This is my life. I don't like white people, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take it out on your kids. Be a racist. They got plenty of room for you in Montana, Wyoming, Georgia. I mean, there's a plenty of places you can go. They got a ton of gated communities we can't afford to live in. Go. <laughs> we won't miss you. I don't need you to become pro-black. I don't need you to pull up a banner talking about Black Lives Matter. I can't breathe. Don't like me. Just stop being a cop in my neighborhood." That's all I ask. I, if you said all races have to lead this country, my father's getting the first seat on that bus. <laughs> and I don't want my father to leave. No more than I want the racist guy to leave. I'm just going to tell my dad, shouldn't be a school teacher, Pop. Let that go. <laughs> Unless you're going to teach in a black neighborhood, let it go. And it's the control mechanisms. And when you have the ability to exact control over people that you say you don't like, that's where the problem comes in. I do not want to take that man or that woman's right to be a racist. You are completely entitled by the first, second, third, fourth, fifth amendment of the United States Constitution. You can be all the biggest racist you want, and I'm okay with that. Just stop trying to load over us in the process. Go be with whoever you feel comfortable with, and I'm okay with that. I will not miss you. Well, I love, I love what you're saying, and I know everybody, when the way you describe things make it all sound, you know, it's like we can understand, I can understand it, I can understand, like sometimes I'm, everything seems so complex, how can we solve any problems? And you can map it out in a way where we can come together, and you're not political, right, Andre? I mean, no. you're not political. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, um, doesn't matter. If you're a good person, I roll with you. So, <laughs> I, I mean... I mean, the parties don't matter. I mean, I think they're all in cahoots at one level when it gets down to the end of the day because collectively, education is not getting better. I wish Dave Spencer became governor of Missouri. We'd have had a better school system. So when people get in who care about people, not care about politics, when people get in who care about people, we'll get changed. The number one job for a politician is to get reelected in most instances. So that's what it comes down to. There's a discussion of we need to be culturally diverse and we need to embrace culture and we need to understand black culture. Doesn't make sense to me. You're not seeing black culture. Excuse me. You're not seeing African. Culture. When black people got off the boat, language, names, culture, all thrown in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Here's a new name. Here's a new language. Here's a new religion. Here's a new everything. And if you use the old stuff, we're going to beat you or kill you mm -hmm. until you conform. So what you're seeing in 2020 is a manifestation of the culture you gave black people back when slavery started. So you're not even seeing black culture. We, you're seeing the black edition of white culture. Mm -hmm. If you want to see black culture, that's called Africa. I'm mm -hmm. saying you want to see African culture. This is an African culture. I have no connectivity to Africa. 
So I don't know why they call me African American other than the fact that they need to come up with something cool, but there's no connectivity in 99% of the instances. And what you're seeing is not even black culture. It's a black version of the white culture that was given to us. So the merging of cultures, you just, you just be merging with yourself. When you talked about your current project that you're working on, where the, there's been no, no um, violence for 13 months, did you say? 13 months. Can you talk about that? How did, how did you, what are you saying to people? Where, what are you doing? How are you working with everybody? We, are, we come to a place of agreement. Everybody wants something. So like right now, we can't all agree on Black Lives Matter and the protests and movement. So I'm not even addressing that. We can't agree on a lot of stuff, but we can all agree on let's educate the babies. Mm-hmm. So when I went into the prison, I said, what's the one thing we all need to come together on? As a prisoner, you want to get out of here. Mm-hmm. First thing, as a prisoner, number one goal is to get out. So I came in and I started talking about let's get out of here. Then the second thing is you want support for your family while you're back here. So my first two lead-ins were let's get out of prison and let's support your family in the process. Mm-hmm. Everybody, regardless what organization, gang, side of town they were from, could agree to that. Now, if you want to get out of prison and you want support for your family while you're here, you got to be in this program and in this unit. And oh, by the way, all your enemies are in here. And oh, by the way, there's some other people in here you don't like. So how, how bad do you want to go home? And how bad do you want support for your kids? So yesterday I went to um, Children's Place and I bought like $185 worth of um, clothes. One of the guys in my program went by, dropped the kids off, dropped the clothes off for his son. It wasn't like a huge amount of money, but that $185 changed that man's life. Mm-hmm. And last week I took, there's a guy, he has, he has three kids, took three kids out to bowling, took them to the arcade, the whole nine, that was like $75. But that $75 I spent on his kids touched that man's heart. Now, when I say to him, I need you to show up to class on time and participate. If you still want me to keep supporting your family, instead of me taking, or, or the, the staff taking millions of dollars and buying stuff that doesn't make a difference. I'm saying you're not going to get a man to change because you hold him hostage or you hold him in custody. You help his family, you meet his needs, and then you can redirect him. Now, this doesn't absolve them from anything that did wrong to be there. But Andre, also, it's you having been hierarchically, you were so, you were so successful. You were the boss, boss, right? So they listened to you. Right. They see, they see me and say, I want to be him. I am the I am the prototype or the or the model of what they want to be. He's, mm-hmm. he's still black. He's still running around here dressed like us. He's talking like us. He he hanging out with us. He hanging out in the hood and seeing our families. And he's successful. And he's respected across the board. And he does good stuff. So they want a variation. Who does want a variation of something good? As kids, we saw the dope dealer with the big car. We wanted the big car. We saw the other guy with the, with the nice clothes. We wanted the nice clothes. Those are the images that a lot of us saw as kids growing up. And it wasn't the thing to counteract that. So rap music in 2020 is different than when I was a kid. But somebody screaming all these wonderful hoes, bitches, and ends, and this and that. To the average kid, that's, that's wow. That's how life works. For my kid, it's entertainment. Because mm-hmm. I wish to God my son would come home and he'd repeat any of that at his mother or me. Because it, it'd be on. It, it's not even a discussion. So my son, who has parental guidance, sees the same music as entertainment, where the kid who doesn't have parental guidance sees it as a guidepost. So it's not the music, it's the lack of parental guidance that shapes that kid's mindset. 
because there's nobody here to tell him that's just music and you're going to do your homework and we're going to have dinner together. And yes, you're going to church every two weeks to this dumb program if you like it or not, because he has to understand that his guidelines. But when it's none of that, then it's like, oh, okay, well, whatever Jay-Z said is real. And whatever this guy said is real because there's nobody telling him that's entertainment. Okay, are you, are you uh, this would be a good time if people have questions, why don't you chat them in, send them in by the chat and we'll get to some of your questions or comments for Andre. And um, I do think what you're saying, it's like whatever you saw when you were growing up, any one of us think it's cool. I mean, I, I wanted to smoke, I wanted to do things. And then if somebody had the privilege of being in a great educational system, what they're looking up to is so great. You know, they get to look up to somebody who went to college and so forth. But it's Going to a private school and, a, and having a nice family doesn't guarantee success. No. But it, it's just a different type of failure you'll suffer. You mm -hmm. can still fail out of MICDS. You can still fail out of private and prep schools. But failure for that kid is drastically different than a guy who fails out of public school. Yeah. So when my son comes out of his funk, because his mom has a PhD from Harvard. You know, she has a PhD from MIT and a master's from Harvard. Super smart. I do what I do. My son doesn't stand a chance. He's going to college. Mm -hmm. He's going to get to college if he smokes a bong, smokes some weed, drinks too much. But when he comes out of his funk, three years out of, this, out of school, he's going to have a degree from Harvard versus somebody coming out of their funk and they got a high school dropout and they ain't got no job. They're like, okay, well, my son comes out of his tailspin. Should he go into one? He's going to have credentials and support versus a kid who's going to tailspin and ain't got nothing. It's very important to know that Andre's son is not in a tailspin. He's He's on the, he's doing really well, isn't he, Andre? Oh, listen, he, he tried, my son last, this is, this is classic suburban kid stuff. Last year, he comes to visit and we're at the house. He orders a vape on my credit card and sends <laughs> it to London to his mom's house. Then next thing he does, he calls his mother and says, mom, I ordered something. Don't open the box. Mm -hmm. That is classic dumb suburban kid stuff. Cause I'd have never thought to do that. I'd have never known a million years. I'd have had it sent someplace else and try to smuggle it home. You don't mail something to your mother and tell her don't open a box. And when <laughs> I pulled up, since it was a vape, she had to sign for it because it was 18 plus. That that's my son's problem. And we had that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we had that discussion. But he when I was a kid, it was like guns in the closet, going to clubs, stealing cars. I mean, it was a complete if my son has an issue, it's going to be drastically different than what my issue look like yeah, because my son has a dad. And we can get to the government policies that encourage or almost mandate no dads in the home. If you well, want you, to get a welfare check. That. Yeah, I want you to hit on that before we go to questions. If you, if you want to get a, if you're a single mom with two kids, the government pays you to keep the dad out of the house. If the father moves into the house, you can't receive government assistance. Now, I understand when the policy was first enacted in the 60s, and when people had jobs, they were able working men. Nobody wanted to pay an able working man to sit home and do nothing. So I understood it at the time. But now fast forward, it's an incentive to keep the father out of the house. Now, if we tried it, it didn't work. So let's just say, okay, now this is what they do. They pay the mom section eight. They pay for her two kids. Then they turn around, and pay the dad, subsidize housing and give him food stamps. So you may as well, you give him the money, you may as well let him be in the house and raise his kids. So you have to kind of sneak in, the, sneak in the house to raise your kids while you get the government will send two checks, one to the father and one to the mother to live separately. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a huge impact to not have access to your children 
in them trying moments. It's that time where they have that question or they have that dispute or they listen to the wrong music and you can't give it context or moms can't control all the boys or daughters definitely need their fathers in their lives to set the example on, you learn how to be treated by watching your father treat your mother with undying respect. So if as a young girl, you don't see that, then you perceive that you don't count and you start listening to music and think that's how you're supposed to be treated and that's definitely not the right place to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we just need to get to a place of, there's some small changes to say, okay, how do we get the fathers back in the house? If that's not it, fine. How do we, let's have the discussion. How do we get dads back in the house? If we want to change, if you want to change, then dads in the house make a difference. I love what you're saying, Andre. Um, does anybody have any questions you want to ask Andre or comments that you want to make to Andre? Um, okay, here we go. My, Andre, you mentioned you weren't political. I spent three hours on the phone yesterday with two black business leaders in Atlanta, and they are completely focused on the November election and how to reach young people to inspire them to vote. What are your feelings about that? Well, if they're not going to change the educational system, I mean, everybody, Morgan Freeman said it's not racism. Morgan Freeman said there's no racism in America, and a few other people said, hey, and I'm going to say this to what folks on the phone. One person doesn't speak for all in the black community, even though you try to make it that way. Mm. One white guy stands up and says, no, something, I believe this. The whole white community doesn't believe that they, they're attached to his statement. So mm. in that, Morgan Freeman, I respect his, his comment. I respect him as a person. If he doesn't have racism in his life, bless him. Little mm. Wayne said the same thing. Bless him. I wish we could all be in that space, but we're not. Mm. I wish I had Michael Jordan's talent, but I don't. <laughs> so mm. my thing is, it's not one speaks for all. When you look for the one speaks for all, you're looking to opt out. It's like, how do I get out of this conversation as fast as possible? Oh, one black person said it's not so. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. black person disagreed. I'm out of here. Or mm -hmm. they didn't see it my way or they saw it my way. I'm out of here. No, that's not. One person can't speak for everybody. For one, and relative to the actual question, I believe the political process should be better, can be better. But let's start looking at voter blocking or voter suppression. I, I get caught in Georgia or Florida for smoking a blunt. I smoke some weed, I get caught, I go to jail. I now can't vote for the rest of my life. What's that about? I steal a car. Okay, I'm 16, 17, I steal a car, I go joyriding. I go to jail for two years. I get out, I can never vote again for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Why are you taking away voter rights from Americans? Mm -hmm. Did, somebody explain to me why are you taking the vote? Because if you start voting, then you don't vote the way they want you to, and that's a problem. So there's a group of people who are in the voter suppression. Oh, you don't have the right kind of ID. Don't let them vote. Oh, you've been to jail. Don't let them vote. You moved too soon. Let them let them vote. Florida just gave back the rights to vote to like 1.6 million men who have been incarcerated. And then what first thing they did, the government came right back out and said, well, if you owe for taxes or for some parking tickets, we're not going to let you vote. Why is this this big, huge thing against people voting? because it changes the dynamics of the system. So the two brothers who are talking in Atlanta, that's a definite space that we need to be in, but we all can't be in all spaces. So I'm, I'm in agreement that at some point the polit political system will work and it, people should go for it as best they can. But now when we get people in there, a lot of them don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They get in and get, they get shell shocked. They get into that, I gotta get reelected thing. Now, I know this This will probably be a question that could upset some people. Upset 
think I'm political. This is not a political question, but you hear white people saying over and over, oh, people are tearing down statues of Ulysses S. Grant and he helped slaves, et cetera. What do you say to that? Because um, I, I don't even know how to think about it, much less. So, okay, the people who argue that, I mean, if, if you have statues of people who are just mean and vicious in their day, I mean, Confederate soldiers, hey, first thing, they lost the war. Let's, let's start with the baseline. Any other place in the world, when you lose the war, the battle, they come in, they, they take your hospitals, they take your libraries, they kill all your scholars, they burn your books. That's the first thing they do. Mm -hmm. You go look at any place in history. When you lose a war, they're killing all the clergy, they're killing the educated, and they're burning your library off top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Off the top. So this is not a new concept of why y'all lost. Mm -hmm. You lost. Take the L. You lost. So we don't want to see remnants of the losers. You saying if had you won, I guarantee they just tore down Abraham Lincoln statue. <laughs> so you lost the war. That's Talk true. It up. Very good. You lost. Your ideology did not win. But since they maintained their ideology, that's why they kept their statues because they kept all through Jim Crow, all through civil rights, all through up to 1999. In 2020, they've kept that mentality of blacks don't matter. Mm -hmm. That's why they're holding on to these things. It's like, yo, this is our culture. This is how we believe. Is how we live. Nobody right. got any statues of Nat Turner hanging up no place. All right, Barry. Okay, so somebody just said, and I love it, when can we vote for you, Andre? Have you considered running? When can you vote for me? You can vote for me right now. Mm -hmm. You can vote for me right now because we don't need an office to make a difference. We don't need a seat or a title to make a difference. If you're waiting on someone to get into a political seat or a particular office to make a difference, then you'll be waiting on the system. That's what we've been waiting on for so long as black folks, the system, the system, the system don't work. We are the, we are the people. That's what it, I read it. It's just the people. We are the people. It's all about us, but we keep in handing out power to somebody else. So what I'm saying is let's collectively agree that black lives should matter. Mm -hmm not more so or less than anybody else's. And let's collectively agree, if you want to vote for Andre, Andre's for early childhood education. Mm -hmm. And that's my platform. Um, we can raise awareness, we can raise money, we can raise a plan, early childhood education. Because education is the equalizer. And an educated mind will not do, you know saying, what some of these minds are doing. And we educate them correctly. Not just as make-believe um, black people only eat watermelon and chicken and we've we only been dogs and treated like horribly. Yeah, that was a section of our lives, but we go far beyond that. You know well, I think that's really important, Andre. Um, if, if somebody wants to hire you to speak, where, they, where should they find you? If you want to hire me to speak, just send me an email. And mm -hmm. whether it's a Zoom, if, if, you know something? It's not even about hiring. If you just want to have a conversation, if you, just, I mean, I'm not going to charge you to get on. I didn't, to get on. If you got like 10, 20 friends or five, three friends, you just want to get have a conversation. This ain't about money. If you just got a group of people and you like me to speak to them, send me an email. We'll arrange your time and I'll get on and we'll speak. It's that simple. If you need a speech when COVID's over and you need to come get on the stage, I'll come get on the stage. I don't have to leave my front room. I just get on this and do this for you. This is, there's no fee for this. <clears throat> this is not like, hey, how can I make some money off this? No. We need to have this conversation and money will not be a barrier to the conversation of people getting wealth. I'm going to opt out because he wants to charge his, my fee is $10,000. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to let you opt out over, oh, he charged to charge me 10,000. He charged to charge me 2,000. No, it's free. Mm -hmm. So no, there ain't no opting out. You ain't going to hide behind, oh, I can't afford it or he charged too much. 
you pay Tony Robbins a hundred thousand, but you can't pay me five, but I don't care. <laughs> this isn't about money. This is about our country and our people getting better. And when people try to put price tags on it, watch out. I don't know about you. I know you, I always say these things to Andre and it's like, he's so, as you can tell, I mean, he, everybody respects him. I'm like, Oh, Andre, I have chills right now. I do, but I have chills. I think that when you talk, it makes everybody, everybody's on the edge of their seat and they want to do what you're saying. So I'm, I'm totally on board and I'm seeing the text and coming through whatever you suggest we should do. We want to do. I got one thing. What time does this end? Don't say seven. What time do we end? What, oh yeah. Oh, we're ending now. I'm sorry. No, no, no. We got, I need three minutes. Your we need, we got, I got a, my dude just came by. He, he needs three minutes. That's perfect. No, you got no. whatever you want. Your life. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You got to take your mask off. Help. There we go. Yeah, you got you to spit. You, you hit him. You know, you know what I need. Excuse me. I'm a COVID survivor, ventilator survivor. So, uh, <laughs> Dre got me on go. Uh, so, I'm, 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 I'm taking it. You briefed it already? No, no. no. Okay. He said no briefing. So, um, God, I need you. But I need you to meet me outside the cathedrals and churches, then walk with me up the block to where the hurt is. And this time around, we can't bring any more churches or pastors who are more concerned with the fact that my pants were sagging than they were about teaching about the passion. So in turn, they try to scare us with hell. But for real, this block's been hot all my life. How could you scare me about a place that we already dwell? Learned how to get it on my own before the age of 12 because my mother couldn't afford us, but she had four of us. And since she had love for you, she wouldn't have bought us, so she brought us to this God-forsaken place, please. Don't try to scare me with hell when we were babies, born in the flames, bastard child, fatherless. Only thing I bore was his name, and all of my friends were the same as me. Except for their fathers did a hood pregnancy test, held his breath for nine months till they was born, was like, yes, I'm gone because this little boy don't look like me. See, God, I need you to tell these people to stop trying to scare me with hell when I've seen my best friend in a hospital bed with his head shot off because a 15-year-old decided to let a Glock pop off at two o'clock in the daytime when he stood in the front yard waiting for his kids to get off the bus. And now his son's last memory of his father is him standing in the driveway having to mop up the blood. See, God, I need you to teach me how to hug my brother through the tears of a 22 to your nephew who sits in a jail cell awaiting trial when his mother died and though his father got released from prison he never gets to visit him because the judge just sentenced him to 45 years y'all talking about hell boy we live here on a daily basis staring at satan through the eyes of racist police officers who get off on orphan us then get off for orphan us because they officers it happens too often bruh i'm from a black where oxycontin was popping crack rocks was shot black cocks was popping off where the leadership sits back in the back offices having black caucuses i I was stuck in project apartments, walking over black caucuses. Sunday morning, I sat with killers in barbershops with us, watching as you pass by. Wonder why you never stopped to talk to us, unless you gave me a pamphlet that said, go to hell or believe. But I know I read in the word with love and kindness, I've drawn thee. So when you was cooped up in the church, I took it back to the streets and said, how you gonna be the shepherds if you don't smell like no sheep? So now you can catch me anywhere. Whether they call me Slick Life or Bubs, you can find me in the hood with a firm dap and a hug. Some people won't understand. Some people understand what it was. He said, you're going to know they're my disciples by the way that they love. So this love, I ain't came out here to judge. I'm just telling everybody, please don't forget about us. See, we was going through hell for that in God we trust. So hell, we understand too well. But what we don't understand is love. Scott <laughs> Andre Norman. Thank you, for thank you so much. <laughs> That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, man.
That's my guy. And what's his name? His name is Life. Mm. Yes. So if you want life, you want it for me, you want life to come spit balls for you. You know what I'm saying? 21-year Marine, served the country. He goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with me behind the walls um, every day. He helps guys get their lives better. Um, and again, um, wasn't that long ago, he was in the hospital struggling with COVID on a ventilator, unconscious, and we prayed him back, and we're back on track. So um, that's why he's got all his gear on. <laughs> he just came by to say hello. But, Can we um, follow him, Andre? Is there a way to follow him? I will. Yes. Life. How do they follow you? Is this Instagram or where are you going to follow you? Facebook? I'll make you this deal, guys. If you will, follow um, us at The Ignite Method on Instagram. Follow us at The Ignite Method on Facebook. We will get you the links to Andre. We will get you the links to life. I just and put it I'm, in there. Life yeah. speaks life Perfect. on Instagram. Instagram. So this is the deal, guys. We are going to be sharing this podcast um, on our uh, social media channels. We will also be sharing different ways to connect with Andre and you know how to reach Andre. And as he said, he's available to talk. Oh man, I did it wrong. I did it privately, my fault. Okay, we'll get it out to everybody. I'm gonna send a follow-up and get everything out to people. If you're here and we haven't met before, please uh, send in your email if you'd like to be informed. We're gonna keep up with Andre and we'll be sharing ways to connect um, for more Get Ignited conversations. Andre. Love you, Beth. Oh, Island Park, I love you. And I thank you for your time and for your heart and for bringing your brilliant mind to all of us and um, for educating. Conversations where it starts. Educating and inspiring and um, clarifying. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, love you. Lots of comments here for you, Andre. I'll, I'll send, make sure you get them all, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank Ladies you, gentlemen. Thank you. You have a good night. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the next conversation with our Get Ignited guest, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at The Ignite Method. Thank you.